0: natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves their due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, and they disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things." Now, I wanted to kind of go back and read the totality of what we've been covering uh, over these past weeks. Really, we've, we've stuck with 128 through 21, but we've been moving through this chapter slowly because there are so many important things that he is writing, especially for the first century, much less this could be written today, don't you think? I mean, wow. What Paul is saying is people reject, as people reject God as the creator of all things. They try to wash him out of everything. They try to wash him out of government. They try to wash him out of our schools. They try to wash him out of, out of you know, our, our work environments, our homes, anywhere. And they very quickly devolve into this, you know, downward spiral in life, into a sin that they're choosing to live in. And the next generation becomes born into that, and they don't know any different. I mean, the United States... It's a very different country than it was in the 1950s. And I'm not saying it was better or worse. Well, okay, well, yeah, I am. I'm saying it was, it, it was better back then and worse today. But a digression of our society, a rejection of God since the 1950s. And I'm not saying there weren't people in the 50s that rejected God. I'm not saying that at all. But it began this, this rejection of God to the point where if you believe in God, you're an idiot, Right? That is what the world says today. Just turn on most of the newscast, and if they have somebody on there and they're talking about religion, and, and they just look at you like you're you're nuts, you're crazy. Why do you need that crutch? They just look at you like like what is going on? I don't want to reject God. I want to please God. I I don't want to uh, I don't want to gossip. All these different things that are, that are in there that we have problems with. You know, I don't want to be immoral. I don't want to do evil things. I don't want to be prideful in my life. We think these things. And we know what they really mean in our head. But oftentimes it's like a New Year's resolution. It starts out great on January 1st. Maybe okay, January 2nd, 3rd, maybe a week later. But then it doesn't take long before the battle starts raging within us, right? That, do you really want to keep up with this? The devil doesn't want us to accomplish these things that we want to accomplish. The things that we think on Sunday morning, when we get into God's Word on on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or, or whatever day, you know, when we start getting into the things of God, the devil doesn't want us there. This is all the battle within us. Then we go out into the world and that battle's something else, isn't it? So as we open up ourselves and yield ourselves to Him and His ways, to to the Holy Spirit that can come in and change who we are, then then we start to see this is the only way not to be like what Romans 1 talks about. It's through the Holy Spirit. It's not... It's not about us trying harder to not sin. Because I've gone down that road. You've gone down that road. We can try as hard as we want. But without the Holy Spirit helping us, it's futile. It's, it's a non-starter in a sense. It's not about, man, I, I just need to clean up my act. Because that's almost prideful. And we talked about pride for, for a couple of weeks. You know, the, the pride of thinking, I can do this on my own. No, we, we need the Holy Spirit within us to activate, to to work within us, to change us, to mold us, to say, Lord, you, you need to remake me so that I won't be a gossip. You need to remake me so I won't be immoral. You need to remake me so I won't be so prideful. And, And I know that that is a dangerous prayer. But better a dangerous prayer than the Lord coming to you and having to make you stumble, make you fall, Make you go through a, different, a difficult time because you're not yielding to the things of God. So you might as well, you know, pray that dangerous prayer that, uh, uh, you know, because when we go to the Lord and say, Lord, I really want to change. And he goes, Alan, do you really want to change? And, you know, and uh, you know, during that moment, I'm like, yes, I want to. And he goes, okay. And then he starts changing me. And then the battle is on, okay? See, the battle we fight inside ourselves has kept me coming back to Romans One for 15 weeks. It's an interesting thing that happens when we sit long enough with a chapter like this. We stop viewing other people as sinners. We stop going, oh man, have you talked to Anna? I mean, she's a gossip. You know, or Gary, oh. You know, we stop doing that, which, oh wait, did I say that out loud? That was supposed to be in my thoughts. You see what I'm saying? We, we, you know, we stop looking at other people, and I'm just joking, Hannah, I'm not really saying you're gossip. Um, you know, we, we stop looking at other people like that, and we start going, oh, wow, maybe I'm the gossip. When we start hearing ourselves, we talked about gossip several weeks ago, and man, some of us have really been working on that, and we've had several conversations along the way on that, and we say, man, I don't even realize how much I talk about other people. And the Lord's having to 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 battle that within us. And we start to maybe go, man, I, I need to stop hanging around that group or that person, you know, not because they're you know that I'm better than them or anything, but because it puts me in a situation where I gossip. And the longer, the longer we sit with it, the longer the Holy Spirit has time to really talk with us and, and do that thing that we absolutely hate. Convict us. And when he convicts us, we go to him to the point where we say, Wow, I am the sinner. Where we can say, I'm a rejoicing sinner. I am a saved sinner. We all have sin, and we get to that point and say, Well, Lord, apparently I'm your project. I'm the one you're working on. And we realize that we're the ones on the potter's wheel. You know, you know, the potter, you know, he takes a lump of clay, this semi kind of Still moldable but but needs some extra things and they just takes the clay and you just hey, I mean not joking, he slams it down on the potter's wheel. And I almost went and got a potter's wheel and all that, but I thought ah it's just too much money to for a one you know, one off illustration, you know? But he slams it down to seat it down really good, and then he starts pressing on it and molding it and making and crushing it and, and adds water and you know, and, and then if it doesn't work out good enough, what does he do? He takes a a really strong string and he cuts through the bottom of it and he takes it off of it. And then he starts over again. God does this throughout our lives. He does this with our relationships. He does this with our marriages. He does this with our families. He does this with our work environments. But when we let him and not say, well, the devil is attacking me because I'm having a hard time. The potter has to, you know, God has to respond, I'm I'm not the devil. You know, and our response oftentimes is, well, you must be because it's painful. And God's like, no, 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 I'm in control. I'm not having fun at this. And we go, well, I'm not feeling very blessed. It must be the devil. And the Lord is like, no, 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 no. I am the one manipulating you. I am the one that is blessing you. Now, the devil does attack us. Don't get me wrong, okay? Don't, uh, you know, the, the devil is alive and, and active. But before you place blame on who is attacking you, go to God and say, God, is this from you? Are you making me stumble in this situation to get my attention? Are you making me stumble in this? Are you making this difficult because I'm going maybe a direction that I shouldn't be going, going against the grain, going against who, who you want to be, who you want me to be? because sometimes the lord allows certain things sometimes the lord allows satan to attack us i don't know why i mean there's times when i feel sorry for some of us because the lord has allowed certain things to happen and, and i wish i could step in and just stop whatever evil's going on and just stop whatever's being done or or maybe the sickness has come upon you you know or the or the crisis that's overtaken you and i wish i could fix those things but in reality, there are times when the Lord says, hey, listen, hands off. I'm working on this one. I got them on the potter's wheel. And the only thing we can do is pray. And most of the time it's, you know, God be merciful. God be gentle. And the Lord stops, starts to, to shape the vessel that he can use. And all the while, we're just like spinning And we feel like we're spinning out of control, you know? That's why he slams us down on the board, because if we become loose, what happens? We go flying off. So we just feel like we're just spinning. And all of a sudden, the potter's hand is putting pressure on us. And we're like, great. It's great to be a Christian. And God's just pressuring us and moving us and adding different water and, and, you know, and and we're like, wow, it's great to be a Christian. This is exactly what I thought it would be. This is exactly where I thought my marriage would be. This is exactly where I thought my finances were going to be at this point. This is exactly where I thought my children, you know, how they were going to turn out. By now, I'm supposed to be wealthy and wise. But God is creating us for a purpose. Not for our own purpose, but for His. He is creating a work of art in you in the place that He has you. So hang in there. Let Him do the work. When you, when you read the list like in Romans 1 and you realize that you're having to fix some of those sins in your own life, along with the Holy Spirit, we confess it and allow the Holy Spirit to fix us. Because one thing I've learned is When the pot is spinning on the wheel, it can't produce its own hand and reach up and pull off some clay and and put a handle right where the pot wants it to be, right? Can't do that. The potter does that. Our job is to hang on. Hang on to that wheel as hard as, you know. Our job is to be a lump of clay. But if we start looking on the shelf and seeing the other things that God has already made and start going, well, I desire that, I want that, then God can't make us into what He wants us to be. Because we may never be what's already been produced. Because God wants you to be something beautiful in His eyes with His molding. So hang in there. You even may ask the priceless work, how long till I look like you? You know, we can go to a mature Christian and say, well, how long? How, how did you get here? And that's a good question. You find a mature Christian, how did you get here? How, do you, uh, how come you have a great prayer life? Or how come you're so gentle in this area or so graceful or humble or, or whatever trait, godly trait they have? How did you get there? And, and the answer is, going to tell you it was a long, hard roll, road to go down. And a pot would say, oh, you, you haven't even got to the ovens yet. Ovens? What do you mean, ovens? Oh, it's going to get really hot. The Lord just says, relax, Alan, just relax. There's a peace that surpasses understanding, so relax in me, because the hand of God is molding you. You know, my wife and I, we, as we had some family down, we, we have uh, a niece that has a lot of anxiety, and uh, she recently had a baby about six months ago, and, and uh, she had a lot of difficulties during the pregnancy, and, and uh, they, I think they had to whisk her back into surgery afterward or something like that. She, uh, she literally almost, you know, had some issues and almost died in, in childbirth. My wife had some issues also, and we were kind of talking about that and, and stuff, and she goes, how... how how can you be, or how how are you so relaxed during it all? And we're like, well, we just had the hand of God on us. That's the only reason. Because without the hand of God, I would just be this nervous, crazy wreck. So, you know, it's good to be able to use those things that happen in our life that we look at that are so difficult as we're going through them. And we can use those to go... Oh, let me tell you how I got through that. There's this peace that surpasses understanding because we should not have had peace during that time, but we did. That is a godly thing. So, you know, while he was working on us, the Apostle Paul gave us some things. In the middle of verse 30, he says, they invent ways of doing evil. And we've kind of gone over this. The the Greek word here is ephrauetos. It means inventor. It means people invent new ways to sin. It's like there's not enough ways already to sin, so let's go invent uh, a few more, you know, just for fun. I mean, even in our lifetime, we've invented new ways to sin. It just comes right into our house through this little thing called cable or internet or fiber optic well okay we don't have fiber optics out here another is they have fiber optics but it just comes right in and we've invented that and i tell you you know when i was a boy it was a lot more difficult to to get some of that but now it just comes right there more and more and more and if god gave you a created gifting i want to warn you don't use it for evil As you invent stuff, as you come up with stuff, as you do your job, don't invent ways for us to do evil. Because when you stand before God, you will have to answer how you use the gifting that God gave you. Hmm. If God has given you a gift, use it for the betterment of mankind. But for some reason, we have this idea that our gifting is all about money, you know, Get all the education. Education is very important. I mean, I've got higher education. My wife has higher education. Um, It's really, really important. So don't get me wrong. But it's not about the higher education so you can make more money. Okay, now, let's be honest. How many of us wish we had more money? I'll raise my hand. Okay? I mean, that's just, that's life, right? But it shouldn't be about the money. Okay, Money does make life easier, and that's really what we want. We want an easier life, okay? But don't let that be the sole focus of what life is, about what education is, about those things, because there's so many more. That's why I keep saying, I don't care what my son is. I mean, I hope my son's an engineer. I hope my son does these things, but really, I don't care as long as he's a godly man. That's what's important. The Apostle Paul wrote it like this to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6, he said... People who want to get rich fall into temptation trap, and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager, eager for money. So just because you want more money doesn't mean you fall into this, okay? But it says some people eager, eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul's talking to a younger man in ministry and he uses, you know, word pictures. He says a trap or a snare, you know, a trap is, you know, you want to trap this animal so you can go skin it and eat it, right? That's how it, that's how it works when you go hunting, you know, or maybe they fall into a pit. This is what the love of money is. It traps you, it snares you, you can fall into a pit. It looks harmless, it's invisible no big deal, I can run right across it. Yet so many people have fallen for the love of money. And it plunges them into ruin and destruction. The word plunge here is the the word for drown. Paul says, be careful. You can drown because of money. It's an ocean of possessions. Now, the beauty of the Lord is that he doesn't revel in this. In fact, When we call out to God, He dives right into that and saves us. God will save us from our own desire that leads us to drowning. Does that make sense? When we're in the middle of drowning, when we're in the middle of being overwhelmed, we're in the middle of our own sin, and we call out to God, God doesn't go, (laughs) I told you you were going to do that. Come on, Alan, hello. No, God dives right in and grabs my hand and pulls me out. Many times he'll do this over and over in life. And let me tell you this, our God will not stop rescuing you time and time again. It doesn't matter whose fault it is, whether you dove in or whether somebody pushed you in. You know, have you ever seen the, the movie about the penguins? You know, this penguins, as they they gather around a hole, you know, a a hole in the ice where they dive into the water and they, you know, they're going to go, they're going to go fishing. They're going to go get some food for their family, their young ones and all that. You know what they all do? They all waddle up to the hole. Okay. That's my best impression of waddling. You know, they all waddle up to the hole and they're kind of pushing on each other and they're, they're, they're waiting for someone to fall in first. And that one, whoever, whoever it is, I, I think one of them just kind of sticks out his little leg and trips the other one. And as, as one goes in, he dives down really fast, and then he comes back up. And if he comes back up, they all start jumping in. If he doesn't come back up, they're like, oh, poor George, he got eaten. We're not going in that hole. Okay? That is how we are in this life. Sometimes. We're not even meaning to fall in the pit, but it's just our turn or something. I don't know, you know? I know, this is where my mind goes. Yeah. Then he goes on and says, money is the root of all kinds of evil. You know what roots do? I mean, they grow down into the ground. They pull the contaminants or the great things of whatever the soil is. And you can tell if uh, you know a fruit tree has been planted in, in not good ground or not because the fruit that it produces. You take a bite of it, you're like, "Oh, this is this is just awful, this is just terrible." But the Lord also prunes us. A good pruning looks like it killed the plant, doesn't it? I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I, I think uh, I think it was Violanda, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you brought a flat of grapes, was that? Yeah, Violanda, I mean, they, 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 I love grape season when she brings that flat. Oh, they're so good. And, but, you know, as I take my son out to Sundale School, that's where he goes to school and stuff, and, and the pickers are out there picking and, and boxing and all that stuff, but after that happens, and these vines, I mean, they produce such great fruit, but right now, do you know what they're doing? They're cutting those vines all back. All those vines that produce great fruit have been, they, you look like you've killed it, and there's all this stack of wood that says free wood. So if you want wood to season, all, you can drive out there towards Sunday School. There's piles of it. Those were all the vines that just produced all those wonderful grapes. You have to be cut back sometimes. You know, sometimes I even feel sorry for the vines. A vine was huge, it produced great fruit. But, but soon they're cut down, and the Lord regrows. Some people, it says, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We have so many, uh, so many different ways that we you know, pierce ourselves. See, oftentimes we're out piercing ourselves, we're out hurting ourselves, and we forget that there's one that's already been pierced for us. There's one who's gone to the cross already for us. What was the first thing that Jesus showed his disciples? His hands and his feet. Showing that, that he was the one that, that, you know, he took our sorrows so we don't have to keep them. He took our sin so we don't have to keep that. We don't have to have this religious guilt that weighs us down. Because guilt is a short-term motivator. I mean, at church, guilt works great, doesn't it? And at home with your children and all that stuff. I mean, but when we walk out... We don't feel as guilty in the world, do we? No, we don't. Now, conviction is totally different. Paul says, let me convict you. Look at what he says is bad. He says, going back to the uh, other scriptures, he says, being disobedient to parents. Now, this doesn't mean your parents ask you to load the dishwasher and you forgot, so, so therefore you ought to go to hell because you didn't load the dishwasher. Okay, that's not what he's talking about here. That's not the sinful child. The rebellious child. Not the one that just does one thing wrong or you know, or does stuff every now and then just being a child. But this is a child who will only obey when they make you obey, okay? That's a rebellious child. That's what we're talking about here. You know, disobedience is doing the job half heartedly. Just to get the parents off the back. The strategy is kind of goes like this. And I think men adopt this strategy and go into marriage with it. Well, if I mess up enough on that, then my spouse or my mom won't ask me to do that again. But as we get older, it affects us in the things that we choose in this life. Maybe it affects our college. That rebelliousness can affect the guy or gal that you date. You know, it can be disrespectful to, to date someone that they don't approve of. And I don't mean approve of every little thing that the, you know, that you're, uh, the, you know, the person you're dating. I don't mean that. But if your parents are totally 100% against the girl or the guy you're dating, then you need to sit down and ask why and have a, an adult-like conversation with your parents about that. Bring the Lord into your life. Bring the Lord into your decisions. And you can choose a different path than than your parents choose for you. That is your right. And you can still do it in a respectful manner. It just can be difficult, but it can be done. See, Jesus is the model for this in us. Remember Jesus as a boy? In Luke 2, it goes back. Take your memory back to going through the book of of Luke. And it says here, as, as the child grew and became strong, we're talking about Jesus here. He was filled with wisdom and grace of God was upon him. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover. Basically vacation. They enjoyed it. It was a great time. And when he was 12 years old, they went up for the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Typical 12-year-old, right? Not paying attention, not doing what he wants. The parents leave and you know, the world revolves around him type of thing. But actually, Jesus wasn't so typical. Look at where he was. They were unaware of it. Verse 44. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. They began looking for him among their relatives and friends. So this is a whole group that always goes camping, always does something together. Oh, he's with so-and-so. Oh, he's with so-and-so. And come to find out, he wasn't. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. So for two to three days, possibly... Jesus, the 12-year-old, was gone. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Verse 49, it says, Why were you searching for me, he asked? Don't you know that I had been in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. They went, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in their heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Now we need to note, there were times when even Jesus had conflict within his family. Imagine that. I'm sure none of you have any conflict with any family members, right? Some of these conflicts never got resolved. And you need to know that going in. It doesn't always come together in this life. I wish it did. It doesn't. So when Paul, you know, I mean, Jesus even said there will be times when your family is divided. And it's not easy to follow Jesus. But at the same time, remember, we're not here to create what? More strife within the family. And we talked about strife a few weeks ago in the list that Paul gives us. And that list, going back to the list, Paul goes on with the list. He says, they are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Senseless in the Greek. It's a, it's a Greek word meaning without understanding. This is literally the kind of, oh, they're not getting it. You know, you look at the child, you look at the, the, the other person, you're having a conversation, you're like, they don't get it. You know, that's what it means. Not discerning what's going on around you, your words or, or your actions. Not catching the nuances about what's going on. Not knowing a truth from a lie. Unable to, to know what is wise or what is foolish. And this is where I think that men and women, because we are made differently, men can help women on this, and women can help men on this. I think women are are usually very discerning about relationships. Right, ladies? Agree with me? No? No answer whatsoever. Okay. I'll just keep going then. I mean, they they can tell a guy, hey, you know what? That can hurt feelings when you act like that. When you act like a moron... And we're like, what, me, a moron? Well, what, what do you mean? Uh, well, <laughs> did you hear what you said? When you talk like that, or when, you know, you know a wife may come to you and say, don't, don't say that to me in front of other people. That hurt my feelings. A good wife would come to you, and, and not in front of the whole group, but would take you aside and, and have that conversation. And a good husband will listen to that. I mean, not to say that that men are dumb, okay, because we're not. And we're portrayed as, oh, men are just goofy idiots. You know, Father's Day, any video we come up with is always the goofy father. No, we're the leaders of the family. We're not dumb. But sometimes we need women to tell us, hey, don't do that. And men can help out women on these things too. Not so much about relationships, but but especially around the area of being in danger, what is dangerous? What's not dangerous? See, if women can respect the, the men that they are with, they can help discern these things. I mean, I watch people. It's part of my nature. If I wouldn't have been in the ministry, I would have been you know, part of the military. I would have been a cop. I just watch things. It's just my personality. I'll notice things about people that my wife has, will totally miss. You know, we'll be coming out to a car, and there'll be somebody around, and I'm like, honey, get the kids in the car. She was like... I'm like, Lisa, get the kids in the car. No, no, Lisa, kids, car. And I start saying like that. She knows that I've noticed something that she didn't notice. And there have been times when, when, when that's been important. I mean, you just, my wife used to, she had to learn some of this. She used to work in downtown Oakland every day. That was fun. One time I needed to get gas and I went down. Uh, is it Fruitvale? I think it's the street because I was almost totally out of gas and and I should not have been in that neighborhood. Mm. No. Anyway, my wife is an intelligent woman. Don't get me wrong. She helps me things that just you know with things that just fly right over my head. But there's also things that she doesn't see that I help her with. Men have a more inclination toward what's potentially dangerous. So less use each other's gifting because God has put my wife and I together as a team. This is the same in the workplace. We, we need to balance different things. You know, our problems with schools, especially lower grades, I think, is not enough male teachers. And one of the reasons is because they just don't pay enough, unfortunately. We need both. We need nurturing. You know, the, the ladies are, more, are, are naturally better at nurturing. And the men are naturally better at disciplining and showing those different things. And we need both male and female for that. Unfortunately, sometimes it happens where, where only one is raising the child. You know, we get into, to split families and all. This is where the church needs to, to step in and influence and help when needed. Not to replace Don't get me wrong. Not to replace. But men and women are different. We are not the same. Not even close. So we need to help out in those areas. Paul uses another word here. He says faithless. Another word for this is untrustworthy. A person uh, known to break promises. I don't mean they just, oh, they forgot. And you're like, ah. You know, I'm always telling people, you want to remind me of something, write it down and hand it to me. Because... Um, if I don't get it, I am gonna forget it. You know, I don't mean something like that, but someone who constantly lies about stuff, somebody who's unworthy of your confidence. Uh, you know, I'll be there at five and they show up at seven. I'll bring the chips and they show up with absolutely nothing. You know, I work till five every day, but the boss is gone, so I'm getting out of here at four thirty today. You know, you just can't trust them. This is the very same person that will blame the government or blame the boss, or blame anyone else for whatever's going on, you know, they'll blame, I'm not climbing the ladder, so let me blame somebody. Well, if you're a trustworthy employee, you will advance. My brother, he's a hard worker. Works for a large corporation, Cisco. Not the uh, He works for the food Cisco, not the um, computer Cisco, okay? And he had... Uh, Uh, He had saved their company millions upon millions of dollars. He's an auditor. He's in in accounting, and he's very good at that. But uh, as he moved up in the company, he got this one boss that he made the boss look really, really good. So that boss started moving up. He started moving up, and now he's in charge of 146 other accountants, okay, in in Houston and, and stuff. Well, the company was going to buy out another company or whatever, and that didn't happen. So the company reorganized, reorganized, and all of a sudden, there was a lot of change. So the boss saw this coming down the line, and the boss is sitting there going, they're going to look at everybody's job. So the boss started writing up my brother for little incidental stuff. And if that starts to happen, here's your first clue that you're fixing to get fired. Okay? You're fixing to get let go. So all of a sudden, my brother started getting written up for all these things that, that really uh, that some of these things are actually what his boss was doing, not what he was doing, okay? And, 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 you know, he gets demoted, and he's like, you know, he's in that whirlwind. What is going on? Boss was covering uh, his own backside, and, and the boss was basically saving his own job. So he's in this whirlwind time, and, and they gave him a special account, and he went from, from uh Uh, you know, having 146, 156 employees that were, you know, he was in charge of, to being in charge of one project, and they said, by the way, when that project's over, we don't know if you're going to have a job or not. Wow. I mean, he makes something like $220,000 a year. I mean, yeah. And all of a sudden, you're going to have to figure out what to do. I mean, wow. Well, the upper management... As soon as he gets pulled out of underneath this person, starts seeing what's going on and seeing that person and, and how they're doing and, and all those things. And, and, and basically, they couldn't save his job within the company. But his boss's boss's boss went to another company, outside of their company, and said, you need to hire this guy. I want to get this guy a job because he is that good and you will not regret it. You can trust him. Being trustworthy is important. He could have whined, he could have complained, he could have put up a fuss, he could have gone to his boss's boss and boss. He didn't do that. He did it well and he allowed the Lord to take care of him. And he actually moved to move in the Tennessee's uh, much better position, much better suited for him. All because the, he was doing the opposite of being faithless. He was the opposite of being untrustworthy. He was trustworthy. We think these things are small. Let me tell you. I owned a truck. I let people borrow it all the time. A truck is a truck. I mean, it gets dinged up. You get a little ding here, a little ding there. Oh, they accidentally bumped into something. Who cares? It's a truck, okay? Now, I had a friend that kept borrowing it. No one here, okay? Just saying that now. And he always said, I'll put gas in it for you. He never did. Now, this truck had a 5.9 liter engine. I mean, bigger than a Hemi engine for the guys, the girls, the, for most of the ladies, they don't care. But guys, big engine, which means what? Gas. See, the guys knew exactly what I was going. It was costing me 250 bucks a month to let my friend borrow my own truck. So I sold it. I literally went to my wife, and we talked it over, and we said, we really didn't need the truck, blah, 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 my other car can pull the trailer whenever I use it, don't really need it, man, this saved me 300 bucks a month, sold my truck, didn't have to pay insurance, all because this guy was untrustworthy, because I was willing to keep the truck for 50 bucks a month on the insurance seems trivial but if you're faithful in the small things the lord will make you faithful in larger things in life see our children have grown up seeing you know entertainers marriages fall apart because they're not in love anymore you know they go off to they meet somebody else on the movie set when their wife was at home raising the kids you know or whatever We have got to show the younger generation trustworthy relationships within jobs, within marriages, within work, whichever it is. When you say to the kids, I'm going to take you to Disneyland this Christmas, you better figure out a way to get to Disneyland over Christmas. If you're not able to do that, you talk with them, you explain it, you make it up. You know, my son, he makes me promise stuff. He says, Daddy, do you promise... Hey, Dad, promise me. Daddy, I know you're going to promise, right? Because he knows that if I say I promise, I mean, there's a 98% of chance I'm going to do it. And that 2% chance I sit down, I own up to it, and I, you know, I apologize or whatever, and I try to make it right. But the, it's very different than the other phrase that I use. That phrase goes, we will see. Oh, we'll see. He knows that that's more like a 50 50 chance of it actually happening, you know what I mean? Don't teach our children to be untrustworthy. Don't promise. Same thing on jobs, same thing with everything else. Don't promise and then do the opposite. That's not a godly thing. Because your word means something, especially when you say you're a Christian. Surveys have you know, said this over and over with supervisors, and they will tell you it's hard to find employees that you can trust. It just really is hard. This is why it's so important. If you're trustworthy on the small things, and then later in life you'll be trustworthy in the larger things. Paul goes, you know, Paul goes from murder, literally, if you go back to the list and read it, from murder to untrustworthy. Wow. Then Paul uses the word heartless here. This means unloving. It means cold or incapable of sustaining life. Don't be heartless in this life. It's very unfortunate for people to become like this. They they just you know maybe they were never loved to begin with or or they've been hurt so many times that they build up this wall and and, and their heart has become, you know, like become a fortress and they, you know, it's like, in other words, you're not going to get anywhere near my heart. So don't even try. You know? Or is it the, the opposite? They've been doled over all, their, all you know, their whole life so much that the world literally revolves around them that they don't know how to give out love? Don't be this way. Because then you're, you're like, well, where's my love? It's all about what am I going to receive? Because you want to be loving. He uses another word here. He says, the last one, one here is ruthless, this is unforgiving. This is having no grace, refusing to let go of past deeds, denying a chance for a person to be forgiven, or even to the point of, well, I'll forgive you, but I will never, never forget. Wow. Maybe if you say that, maybe you haven't forgiven them. Forgiveness offers a certain amount of forgetting, okay? Okay? Not, uh, I mean, this is a fine line on this one, okay? Because God forgets all our sins. We remember them, but God forgets them all, okay? But, you know, God's going to pull out my file on Judgment Day. You know, like the old World War II files, they'd pull out all the files, and it'll see Eleanor on the top, and it'll have a whole bunch of blacked-out lines of all the things that God has forgotten that I did, and it's going to be a lot, okay? Okay? I've asked for forgiveness for a lot, and God, you know, he's not going to see all those. And then he's going to flip the page and say, oh, you know, accepted Jesus in his heart, and, and then the rest of it's going to be blacked out. And then a few good things here and there is not going to be blacked out, but I think you get the point. All the bad stuff is going to be blacked out because he says, that, you know, it's from the east, from the west. I mean, he's just thrown at where he doesn't even remember it. And praise the Lord. Amen, right? Truly. Now, in return for all that forgiveness, the Lord wants us to be forgetters and forgivers ourselves. And man, this is hard. Especially if you have that one family member. You have to forgive them, right? If you're a Christian, you have to forgive them. You have to. We want to stick our tongues out. Okay, maybe you know we're adults. We don't do that. But we want to say a few things. We want to put them in their place. But the truth is, we have to forgive them. Now, having said that, let me say, it's okay to set up boundaries also with that person. you get my point? So they're not allowed to continue to hurt you, possibly. May even be a family member. You know, forgive them, but that doesn't mean you have to hang out every holiday. It doesn't mean you have to get together every time. I can forgive, but that doesn't mean there's not consequences. Boundaries can be very important, especially for those who try to manipulate you. Have you ever ever had to tell somebody, um, you know, like this, like, you know, we're no longer friends, I mean, you've gone through the Matthew 18, you try to resolve whatever, and, uh, but they just keep doing what they're previously doing, and, and okay, I forgive you, but we are no longer friends. Hmm. They walk up later, they try to start off right where they left off, And, and, and you know, you're almost like, well, unless you're ready to apologize and start over, I'm just going to walk away. And then what do you do? You walk away. Because if I were to stay in that situation, I would say a few things that I probably shouldn't say. You know what I'm saying? I would walk right into the trap. I would walk right into the the snare. I would walk right into the sin. Boundaries are important. Verse 32, it says, Although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And we've talked about this. In 2016, we need to be very careful to not approve of things that are ungodly. There's a lot of passive approval. There's a lot of just outright approval. Still love you. I still care for you. I am not really judging you on this, but I can't accept what you're doing is right. We have to be staunch on that. We have to be grounded in that. What is right, what is godly, is right. What is wrong is sinful, and that's wrong. Let's not walk right into it, right? Amen? Well, we finished chapter one of Romans. Only took 15 weeks. I guarantee it will not take 15 weeks to get through chapter two. It'll probably only take two weeks. So I'm just telling you, we will move a little more quickly but let's not forget what god has taught us that's why it was important to slow down for the past 15 weeks and i'm not going to repeat all of them you know but we need to repent for these things we need to ask the lord to change us and and because we cannot do it on our own that's the thing we have to ask the lord help me with this so why don't we stand as the worship team comes up here and and we will pray to finish up Lord, we are, we're so thankful for your word. I thank you for slowing us down as we've gone over this lift, uh, list and we've dealt with some important things in our life like pride and gossip and, and different things, Lord. And I pray that as we, uh, as we move into chapter 2 that we not forget the things of chapter 1, that we still deal with those in our life. That if we're having issues with these areas, that we allow the Holy Spirit to change us. We're not perfect, Lord. We know that. We know we're going to stumble. We know we're going to fall. But that's where we come to you and we ask for forgiveness, Lord. And you're such a loving God. You forgive us, and then you forget it. Hmm. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may He bless you this week beyond anything you could imagine. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.